Well, this morning we're continuing in our, our uh, sermon series on turning on the lights. I pray this morning that as you prepare to hear God's Word, that if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers would be happy to uh, get you one. Uh, if there's anybody, as they say in a wedding ceremony, raise your hand or forever hold your peace. All right. We're going to dismiss our high school and junior hires for their class at this point, and let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our time in the Word today. Father God, thank You for the blood of Your Son, the blood that washes over our sins, the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice, Lord God, that was for all sins of all mankind for all time that it had that kind of power. Lord, it has the power to save. It has the power to make us new. Father, let us hold it with great reverence, understanding. Let us move in accordance with the gift that was offered to us. Speak to our hearts today. To you be the glory, Father. Amen. Well, this morning you can turn to Mark 3, 13 through 19, if you will. That's where we'll be. No pun intended. So today we're talking about turning on the lights. Come and be. Come and be. And we'll give you a little bit more of a breakdown if you're visiting today or it's been a while and you haven't heard part one, part two. We'll get you caught up on that in just a little bit and all that's going on. Uh, I don't know if many of you uh, have experienced that idea of discipleship, of come and be, but hopefully what we do today is we help you connect as best as possible. We're going to give a couple illustrations that most people are going to be able to see and, and grasp, but ultimately what we want you to grasp hold of is that the definite illustration of Jesus with his disciples. That's where we're going to camp out today. And we will have done our work if we walk away today being inspired to look at that life and agenda of Jesus Christ and how it manifested itself through those disciples. So let's briefly look at what this looks like. Number one, this is our theme verse for the year. Matthew five sixteen. in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There will be a test at the end of the month. Alright? If you want to be a member at this church, I'm just kidding. Although, maybe we shot. Anyway, let's move on. You know, what's interesting is that John Lennon said that without Elvis, the Beatles would not exist. Do you have a favorite band? And do you ever research that band to the level that you're thinking and you're following and you're wondering, well, who influenced these guys or this person or this gal? Who are their influences? And so the Beatles said their greatest influence was Elvis. Some of you are like, who are the Beatles? Who is Elvis? Some of you are like, I could care less about the Beatles and Elvis. And some of you have dreamy looks in your eyes. So let's move on to the next point. So just to be fair, many of you know My affinity for Apple products. 
So I just want to be fair to all of you that revere the quagmire that is Steve Jobs' legacy. And so many of you recognize Steve Jobs. Does anybody recognize the other man next to him? Mmm, isn't that fascinating? You see, Steve Jobs is no longer with us, so Apple is now dead, right? Apple's gone. It's plummeting. No, it's not, because, you see, Steve Jobs really mentored a man named Mark Benioff. And that's Mark on, on, the, uh, on your right. And Apple lives on, even though its founder, its creator, its nameplate, so popular that he's had movies, not one, but two. I mean, they couldn't get it right, right? So they had to do two movies about this guy. He's such an icon. And usually when, when a corporation or an organization or a movement is centered around one person, when that person dies, their legacy dies with them. Had some interesting activity around the Bay Area this past week. Some of you may connect with this. Some of you may not. Just be patient. We're trying to find something that re- reaches to all of you sitting here today. So I thought I would play this angle. Oh, we finally hit an illustration that resonates. Now, we saw our beloved coach of the Warriors, Steve Kerr. I call him Steven because I revere him that much. Steve returned to the bench on Friday night, and it's just a beautiful game. It was just wonderful to see what happened. You know, here's the interesting thing is, is Steve Kerr, is his record... 1 and no or is he 40 and 4 I just I'm not sure but technically he's 1 and 0 I think He's 40 and 4 Yeah so you guys knew that right He's 40 and 4 yet he wasn't at any of those 39 games he wasn't at any of those but he got credit Now isn't that fascinating because that those 39 games could have gone completely the other way. And I would offer to you that if it had been many other coaches, it probably would have been very different. You see, he's got this young man that he invested in. And I want you to watch these mannerisms that I picked up off the internet. And this young man is Luke Walton, who was the coach for 39 of these games. He was thrust into that situation of taking on the championship team. By the way, just to let you know, if you're a first-time coach, you want the team that's horrible because they're not going to judge you for that, right? But take on the championship team, and you want to be a head coach at some point in time? Oh, my goodness. You talk about pressure. This young man broke records broke records. How do you think he did that? He did it because he was offered a chair right next to the head coach. And we can see this reflected over and over and over. See how he's starting to actually even become Steve Kerr! (laughs) And so when Steve stepped back into the chair if you will this past week he actually even 
was supposed to do a TV interview during the third quarter just to talk about some things. He was supposed to come over and then tell the team what they were going to do. And he handed the clipboard to Luke and said, ah, you got it. I don't know that he's ever done that before. But this is what it means to come and be. So let's get into it because this is what we really want to look at. By the way, we got this picture. It's an exclusive of actually Jesus Christ. I just want to let you know. Not going to see it anywhere else. Okay, so there, there he is and all the disciples. Many of you didn't know that there was a disciple that was female. Yes. Wow, that was controversial. You all got quiet right there. Let's just move on, shall we? Let's go to Mark 3.13, shall we? Mark 3.13. We're primarily going to be in Mark today. Verse 13 says this, And he went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name I'm not even going to try. That is sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Just thought I'd throw in those two verses for fun. But really what we're looking at is this idea that Jesus goes up to the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him to come and be with him. This morning we're looking at the example of Christ to gather people that have already come to see. They've been extended the offer to follow him and they've committed. We heard about that last week. And now he goes further and he says, come and be with me. And you heard... The Apostle Mark, as he writes Peter's perspective, it says, and he appointed twelve so that they might be with him. Did you catch that? So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons and preach and on and on and on. And we'll get into some more details with that later. So I thought what I would do is I'd start out real quickly with just understanding succession plans. And asking this question to you, do you have a succession plan? What is it? What is your succession plan? You see, many people don't. And so when your time is over, all of your work, all of your effort may wane. It may be done. As opposed to if you invest in those around you, if you say, come, be with me, let me pour myself into you, isn't it amazing how even though we are taken out of certain environments, our legacy, our message can live on. Who said, ask not what... See, even, even most of you can mumble it. And who said that? How many of you met the guy? 
Yeah, none of us. Most of us don't know anything about Him. And yet, statements like that live on and live on because people repeat those statements. Because He invested that in others. And He lived it. Let's look at some key ideas this morning. Jesus had a succession plan that worked. He had a succession plan that worked that as He ascended into heaven, you look in Acts 1.8, He's ascending and He turns to His disciples and He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you what you need in order to do what I do. Isn't that a mind blower? That these 12 guys... And I'll, I'll give you a clue here in a minute. I call them the disciples. Alright? And you'll see why I call them that in just a minute. He hands the keys to the kingdom to these guys. How many of you want to sign up for that? How many of you want that full responsibility? And his last words as he's leaving is, I'm not going to leave you without something. I'm going to give you the same thing that I had. The power of the Holy Spirit to carry out and continue what I invested in you. And you will be my witnesses, which means martyrs, in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Palestine, Asia Minor, Europe, Russia, India, Africa, Libya, Scythia, Greece, Rome, Britain. You're going to hear about that in a moment. Now, he didn't say all those words, but he said to the other ends of the earth. You will take everything that I have invested in you. Jesus had a succession plan. And believe it or not, my friends, you are part of it. You are part of it. He had a plan that worked. How do we know that? Because the church blew up. The church proliferated. Unlike any other time in history, even currently, the church blossomed because of the work of Jesus Christ through those disciples, through those apostles. Jesus' disciple-making plan took disciples to disciples. Alright? What do I mean by that? These guys didn't get it. Most of the time they didn't get it. And I'll, I'll demonstrate that later on in the book of Mark through a couple stories. Have you ever been investing in somebody, maybe it's just even at work, you've been investing with somebody and it's just not coming together. And you get really frustrated. Or maybe somebody has been trying that with you and you just don't get it. Right? I, I, I don't get math. I'm not a sequential thinker. I just don't get math and, and I'm not sure that there's anything godly about math. All right? And my dad used to try to teach me math. That was not good. He's an engineer. Engineer, sequential thinker. I'm conceptual. We're still not talking to... No, we are. We are. But have you ever been at that point where somebody's investing in you or, or you're trying to invest in somebody and they just don't get it? The jaw has dropped. The saliva is dripping. The glaze has set in. These were the disciples. Now, how many of you would have stuck with these guys? Yet Jesus did. Jesus did. Point to be taken here. That a success plan isn't necessarily predicated on investing in 
the brightest bulb, if you will. You see, Jesus, actually God says, I choose to work through the whom? The weak, so that I can prove myself, what? Strong. So everybody's included in this plan. You don't get to opt out because you say, well, I'm not some uh, uh, great flannel graph teacher, um, you know, and I'm not really a PowerPoint person, and I'm not a great evangelist, so, you know, I'll leave that to those other people. Well, let's look at it. So, last point, Jesus' message didn't leave when He did. That's one of the key points. As we look at this idea of come and be, and, and you think about Steve Kerr, his message, the reason that Luke Walton was able to succeed so well, set records, is because he stuck to the message. He stuck to the message. It was seamless. And when you've got that good of a message that works, and you stick to it, you can see great things happen. Let's look real quickly this morning. By the way, I mentioned some of these before we get into Jesus' boot camp. Let's look at what happened with these guys. You've got it in your sermon notes. You don't necessarily need to write it down, but when I say that they went from disciples to disciples, let me prove my point here. Is that you're going to hear later on in a chapter in Mark how they just didn't get it and Jesus was so frustrated with them because they didn't get it that in the middle of the night he sent them out onto the Sea of Galilee in a boat. That he decided to scare them and shock them as much as he possibly could and yet written decades after the fact, Peter writes down or has Mark dictate You know, the reason Jesus was so frustrated was because we just didn't get it. Did you know that about that relationship? It's pretty amazing. And so that's where I get this idea of the disciples. But how do you go from a disciple to, I'm willing to die for you? It's one of the integral things about Discipleship 101, and we'll get to that in a minute. But listen to the legacy, right? Jesus came. He was obedient to the Father. He stayed true to the message. He was about building the kingdom of heaven, right? He was passionate about it. He left everything to do it. And He sacrificed His life that we might have life. He completed what He was asked to do. Now let's look and see if that message follows and replicates itself with His disciples. Let's just start with Judas. It didn't. It doesn't always work. But let's look at 13 other guys. Peter, he had a writing ministry and he labored throughout all of Palestine. He was martyred by crucifixion. History tells us that while he was in Rome, his wife was led out before him. He could see her and he said to her as she was going to be executed, you're going home. Blessed be you. It is said that he was tortured for over 90 days in, in, a, in a, a dungeon of sorts there in Rome. And because of his testimony, because of his life, because of his faithfulness, because of what was invested in him, you know his very torturers came to Christ. Now we don't have that in the Bible, but history dictates that. Fascinating. The guy who denied Christ three times. James. James labored in Jerusalem. We believe him to be the bishop of Jerusalem. He was martyred by the sword by Herod's command. We can see that biblically in Acts 12. 
John had a writing ministry and he labored throughout all of Asia Minor. Uh, he had a writing ministry as well and he discipled Polycarp, one of the first to second century uh, church leaders who then uh, did the same with Eusebius and, and others. And that, that line of investing kept going and going and going. Andrew labored in the Ukraine, Georgia, Scythia, Istanbul, Greece, and Asia Minor. He was martyred by hanging on a cross for three days. Philip labored in Pergia and was martyred by the proconsul for converting his wife. Actually, this was Andrew and Philip working together in, in tandem. And they healed the proconsul's wife. She came to Christ, and the proconsul was so threatened by that, you would think he'd be blessed, but he was so threatened by it that he decided to kill both of these, uh, these wonderful disciples. Andrew escaped at that time, but Philip succumbed. Bartholomew labored in Hierapolis, Laodicea, Colossae, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, and he was martyred. Matthew labored in Parthia and Ethiopia. He was martyred by Halbred. Thomas labored in Babylonia, Persia, and India, martyred by spears. James, the son of Alphaeus, often known as James the Lesser, he labored in Jerusalem and possibly Syria. He was martyred in Jerusalem as well. Thaddeus labored in Mesopotamia and was beaten to death with sticks. Simon labored in Cyrene, Africa, Muratinia, Britain, Libya, and Persia. Judas didn't labor. Paul labored in Palestine and Asia Minor as well as Rome and many other places, and we all know he was martyred in Rome. Matthias, history states that he labored in Ethiopia. He was stoned and then beheaded. So that's an inspiring statement, isn't it? Follow Jesus. Hold on to that message. But maybe the reason that we're not seeing the world change too much around us is because we're disciples. We're not disciples. And see, the key is, the change is, number one, living under the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one. Number two, is knowing that Jesus has given us a command and we obey that. What did you see happen with each of these disciples? They went. They did what they were asked. Did they succumb to a hideous death? Yes. Let me tell you something that's fascinating about this. We talked last week about the rich man. And he held on to what he had. He made the active choice to hold on to what he had. But what does it say happened? The one who who wouldn't choose to lose in order to win. It says he went away what? He went away sad. And yet you flip over just a page in the events that happened chronologically just around the corner and Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, one who is pilfered just an immense amount of wealth from the local community. And he just has some kind of an encounter with Jesus. We don't necessarily know what it is, but there was a come and follow moment there. He's not asking. Somebody asked me after the service last week, they said, so how much do you have to give in order to follow Jesus? And I said, well, that's not really what was going on with Judas. Jesus never gave any requirement. I'm not, not Judas, to Zacchaeus. Jesus never laid any conditions down to Zacchaeus that we can see. The person he laid the conditions down with was the rich man, and the rich man said, no, I don't want to strike that bargain. I don't want to go for that deal. And he went away sad. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, having encountered Jesus and saying, yes, I do want to follow you, gives up everything. And there was great joy. And what were Jesus' words? Today, salvation has come to this house. Very different stories. 
Do you know that each of the accounts that as I researched them this past week, that when those disciples were being martyred, there was great joy. It's said that James and Andrew had such expressions of joy before they were being killed or as James hung on that cross that it changed the lives of people. Change the lives of people. Can you imagine saying to your wife as she's being led out to be executed, well done. You're about to enter into your home. Does this, does this sound like people that are, are filled with regret? No. Because they understood their master. They were consumed with being like their master because they had been with him. So let's look at this. Jesus' boot camp for discipleship. You ready? Here you go. How many of you guys are doing those physical boot camps around town? Yeah, you're not going to admit it, are you? Well, we're going to do our own boot camp right here. Welcome to Jesus' boot camp for discipleship. We started with come and see, and this is the invitation to experience Jesus. To come and see is the experience to experience Jesus. It's the invitation to experience Jesus. And Jesus would do this by wandering the countryside of Galilee and Palestine or maybe the city of Jerusalem or the synagogues. And he would do what? He would perform miracles and he would preach the message of the kingdom. That was the come and see. Very rarely did we see come and follow. Case in point, the ten lepers that were healed. Jesus heals ten lepers. How many came back to thank him one. Is this not reflective of our society? Oh, Jesus, you did it. I came to the, the flood series, the flood concert, and I had this great experience, and I, I love Jesus. Oh, whoop, 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 right? And a month later, where are you, Jesus? Because we just had an experience, just like nine lepers. We received His grace. We received His message, His beauty. But we just weren't changed by it. We saw the change from the one leper, didn't we? So, spiritual boot camp, you start with come and see. There's an invitation to experience Jesus. How do you do discipleship? Invite somebody who needs to experience Jesus to an event where they will experience Jesus. Again, going through the drive through of a local coffee place. And I get the question again. So what are you doing today? What do you mean, what am I doing today? I'm giving you props from the pulpit. Oh, that's right, I forgot. I said, yeah, Jesus wants to speak to you. Yes, I'm all about that. Let's just keep talking. Let's just keep going. Let's see what happens. Let's see if someone shows up. Let's see if maybe I just go in instead of drive through. Maybe I can leave a Bible for somebody, right? Just experiences. Next, come and follow an invitation to commit to Jesus. An invitation to commit to Jesus. Now this, my friends, I was asked, Damien, can we please bring up these bulbs over here on my right? And so we'd love to see those bulbs lit. We've got another five that are supposed to hang over here. Let me show you how this works. 
You can bring him down now. I don't want people to get too excited. By the way, I've had four to five people ask me, when do we get to light a bulb? Well, we light a bulb when the light of Christ comes into somebody's life through someone here. That's when a bulb gets lit based off Matthew 5.16. That's when we light a bulb. Now the question is, is it something that's authentic? Because that's what discipleship will do. We had somebody respond last week. Many of you were here. I gave a gospel invitation and somebody responded. And we were very excited. I followed up on that. And it turns out there was a little bit of confusion and this person already has accepted Christ in 2014. So we're not lighting a bulb. But that was pretty cool because God was still doing some kind of work. Right? So don't diminish the work that God's doing. Becky wanted a bulb lit. She, um, she's discipling somebody who had some deep questions for her and was really frustrated. And, and Becky, in her wisdom, says to this, this young lady, God has you here for a purpose. And that led this wonderful young lady who's worked for our Lifetime Summer Day Camp to reach out to another student at, at her local junior college, and she led that person to Christ. So Becky wants to know, do I get to light a bulb? I was ready to turn on a bulb. And then I found out it was 2015, so it doesn't count. Okay? Yeah, listen to you guys. Oh, that's good. Keep going. Oh, because that's going to motivate you to what? Ask somebody to come and follow. Ask them to follow Christ. Commit to Christ. The next part is what we're talking about today. These are the spiritual boot camp parts, right? Come and be the invitation to be trained like Jesus. The invitation to be trained like Jesus. Remember, we go back to the Mark 3.13 and it says, And He went up on the mountain and called to Him those whom He desired, and they came to Him. He didn't call everybody. He contemplated who He wanted and He called those whom He wanted. And He appointed twelve whom He also named apostles so that they might what? So that they might teach. That's what it says, right? So that they might be the next great leaders. That's what it says, right? So that they might be told in millions of stories for children's Sunday school. The kids would imitate him wearing bathrobes every Easter and Christmas. Right? No. It says, there's a little article there. That they might what? Be. Be. That they might be with Him. Who knows what God has for each person. But when you start discipling, and the Lord is guiding your time with this person, and you're investing with them, the Lord reveals it, and you start shaping them, and you start guiding them towards what God has for them. So that they're valuable in that work of ministry. So they carry on that work of ministry. Let's look this morning beyond this idea. Moving from a follower to one who labors in the ministry. There's two concepts here. One is Colossians 1, 28-29 where Paul says, For this I toil, that I might present mature and with all wisdom those that I am teaching, so that they might stand before God ready. Ready. 2 Timothy 2, 1-13. Let's look there real quickly. Turn in your Bibles. 
It says, you then, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, his disciple. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to what? Entrust to faithful men. And then watch this next part. Who will be able to teach others also. Do you see a plan? And see, Timothy walked with Paul. Paul pulled him aside, pulled him away. And he invested in him. And he's saying to him, in in, in the last moments of Paul's life, he writes this letter to his disciple. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Does that resonate for you? Does that sound like what Jesus did with the disciples? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's look at what come and be is. Come and be, Discipleship 101. It's to be steeped in conviction. I don't think I've ever used the word steeped before. To be steeped in conviction. What does that mean? I love this. You ready? It means to be marinated. To be saturated in conviction. How many of you love the movie Rudy? I know I got one. Yeah. Right? Some of you are like, what is Rudy? I don't know what Rudy is. Watch it. Pull up your Netflix and watch it. Maybe this is more reflective. How many of you love that great iconic movie, Rocky? Right? The very first one. And he's just getting pummeled. He's overmatched. And they want to throw in the towel, right? And, and the thing you love about Rocky is that he's got what? Heart. Not to mention the great practicum of grammar and enunciation of our <laughs> common English language that's demonstrated in that movie. It's, it's a classic. It's a classic. But when you look at movies like Rudy and Rocky, they inspire you. Why? Because those guys had heart. They may not have had all the talent, but they had so much more that would carry them further than people who had all the talent and not much desire or conviction. Where do you start in Discipleship 101? You start with the heart. And Jesus spent how long? Well, let me tell you. He spent 20 months growing and deepening the conviction of his disciples about being burdened for those who are lost. You know, I'm going to announce something that may make you very uncomfortable here. You may start looking for a, 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 a more uh, diverse-themed church, you know, whatever it would be. But I'll just tell you that this inspires me never to move off this theme until we get it until we get it, because Jesus never moved off it until His disciples got it. Second, once you're steeped in conviction, once that's there, you've got to be coached for success. You've got to be coached for success. Now, how many of you see Jesus as a coach? Right? But He truly was a coach. And there's something fascinating about this part. Jesus spent months handing the reins over and watching them fail and then critiquing to prepare them for succession. What he was doing with these 12 was he was creating this succession plan. But when you look through the Gospels, all four of them, these guys just keep failing and failing and failing and failing. Do we ever feel like that in our faith, in our Christian walk? Absolutely. Just know that Christ is committed to coaching you. Christ is absolutely committed to coaching you. But here's where we need to make a little bit of a change, I think. We have a society of hothouse flowers. You know what a hothouse flower is? Something that's so delicate 
that it has to have just precise conditions in order just to live. Perfect temperature, perfect water, perfect environment, not enough breeze, not enough heat, not enough cold. And if it's going to survive, it has to have those conditions. Do you know that that's kind of where our churches are getting to? We have to make it just right in order for y'all to be satisfied and in order for me to be satisfied. And my point stands to the simple idea that what? That not only did he hand the reins over and he watched them fail and then he critiqued them for succession. We don't like critiquing. How many of you love your job review? When I announced we're having staff job reviews, I just saw ashen white faces take over my staff. And they all did great. We don't like it. Mark 6, 50 through 52. Turn there. This is what I'm talking about as far as the disciples. Now what's happened is that Jesus is preaching and great crowds gather together and He feeds 5,000. Now, He fed them, right? No. When the disciples come to Him and say, hey, all these people are really hungry. What are we going to do? Let's send them away. And He says, what? He says, oh, I got it. I got it. I'm Jesus. I'll do it. I got it. No, He says, you feed them. You see the attitude of the come and be? Do you see the attitude of the discipler? Because He hands them an impossibility, doesn't He? And then He starts to open up the resource. He says, all right, fine, what do you got? Well, we've got these fishes, we've got these loaves, and so he performs this incredible miracle, and they experience that, and they don't get it. They still struggle. So what's he do? He sends them out on a boat. And he's up praying, and I could just hear him praying, Father, are you kidding me? These are the guys you gave me. Right? These are the guys you gave me? So what happens? Well, we see it in Mark chapter 6. All of this has happened. Jesus walks by. Peter does his thing. They get back in the boat. Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And verse 51 says, and he got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. They were astounded by what? You would think it was the wind that he was walking on water. But what does Peter have Mark record here? For they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. Does that throw a big cerebral cramp in your head? Wait a minute, Peter. We weren't talking about the loaves here. We were talking about walking on water. That was a pretty big thing. Maybe it was deflection because it was about him and he failed. He's like, uh, yeah, it wasn't about the water. It was about these guys not remembering about the loaves. Yeah, it was that. I find it fascinating. But, God, but Jesus stayed with these guys. He stayed with them. And He coached them for success. But what happens here? He's critical of them. Are you ready to come and be with Jesus? Are you ready to coach someone else? Are you ready to be coached? Coaching requires criticism. So let's take that criticism so that we can draw near, we can be better than who we are. Lastly, be trained for ministry. 
Jesus would teach key ministry skills such as prayer, teaching, leadership, servanthood, sacrifice, counseling, obedience, on and on and on it goes. All of these disciples would mimic Christ in their ministry. Because why? Because they were with Him. They walked with Him. They saw how He did it. And not only did they see how He did it, there were moments where He gave them opportunity to practice. So when He ascended, when He left, they were ready. This is what it means to come and be. Now how do we do that as a practice of discipleship with ourselves? So let me take you to the last point today. Your question is, am I a master or am I a disciple? Yes. You're both. Because there will always be somebody that you can turn and invest in. We saw a video of a young man that's probably in his mid-20s. I don't know how many mid-20s guys are thinking that, that uh, they have the ability to mentor or disciple, but you know what? There's always somebody that you can spend time with and share the love of Christ with. And what did you hear from the testimony of the kid? You know, it's taught me that I want to do this when I'm older, that I want to do that when I'm older, that I want to invest with somebody else when I'm older. Beautiful. So you're always a discipler, but I'm sorry, you can always be a master as long as you understand the message, right? As long as you're familiar with the message, as long as you have followed. Go in the steps. Number one, come and see. Next, come and follow. Once you've got that together, then you're ready to come and be and so the next part, number one, go through Discipleship 101. Do it this week. Do it today. Wrestle with these ideas. Consider where you're at. But number two, implement Discipleship 101. Make it happen. Don't just think about it. Don't be a disciple. <laughs> but move into being a disciple. And, and find a succession plan. Find a succession plan because people have invested in you, namely Christ, and because this is His pattern of ministry. You can move from this, and I'm sorry, but that looks like Luke is saying, duh, to that. And that's where we finish next week with go and remain in me. Let me close in prayer this morning. I pray that we take this to heart. Because if we do, the lights are going to turn on, my friends. The lights will turn on. And if you have that experience, if you know that in a conversation or through an effort or an endeavor that you have embarked on, that you have seen that light go on with somebody, you share it with me and we'll turn on a light. Alright? Let me pray this morning. Again, this morning, if you've brought... Uh, your gifts and your offerings, they're going to be dropped off in the back there. If you have a prayer request, please fill that out and drop it in the box on the right. And we have our young adults class right after this. So thank you so much this morning for being here. Let's close in prayer. Father, to you be the glory. To you be all things in heaven, earth, in creation. Lord, I ask that as we reflect on this idea of come and be, that if we need training, that we'll seek out those that can train us. That, Father, if, those, if we have been trained in some capacity, if we have already followed, we've already committed, Lord, let us look to invest in others and to say, come be with me. 
Let us take that time. Thank You, Father, that we have that inspiration, we have that example, we have that model alive and well here at Concord Bible. Let it proliferate our lives. Thank You for giving us instruction and giving us a model of ministry that we can follow that is successful. A great succession plan. Lord, take our gifts, take our offering, multiply it for Your your work, And we commit all this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.